Hey, what's going on, guys? It is just after 3 p.m. New York time. We'll start in uh, a minute or two. I just shared the link again on Twitter. So I'll give uh, a few lay people a chance to straggle on in. Hopefully everyone's doing well. It's the weekend. There's really no reason to be trading today. Uh, but we have time to do this call-in because I have the benefit of having a wife that is always doing something with the horses. So that's always a good thing. I think actually she is at a christening, not a christening, a baby shower. Um, and then she'll obviously spend some time with the ponies. And that gives us a good amount of time to go on a series of tangents about the market. Um, all right, so yeah, we'll get started in a sec. I'm just trying to set something up on my laptop right now. Um, hopefully everyone's doing well. Again, Saturdays are the worst day to trade, just from like a volatility standpoint. Um, if you look at like the daily ranges um, of price movement on average, Saturday's the worst. So volume's just off, right? Um, volume drops off a cliff. It drop. It's usually like quartered, um, and uh, something like ATR is a pretty good metric to follow, and that really drops off too. So, like today, for example, on BTC, um, our average thirty-minute rotation size is like one hundred and thirty bucks. You know, and and usually we're looking at you know well over two fifty, right? And even then, that's that's kind of um, tight. But it's it was tight the last week and a half or last couple of weeks, um, and we finally, you know, broke out of that consolidation. And usually when you're tightening up like that, you know, that kind of compression and volatility leads to a, a pretty strong move. So that's what we've had thus far. Uh, but, yeah, I think this has been enough time. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Uh, that sounded like it was the end of it. Um, as, as a reminder, everything we talk about on this call-in, uh, first of all, a shout-out to call-in. They have a phenomenal platform. Now it's open to everybody, so not just Apple users. That was a pain in the butt in the beginning, but they fixed that, and uh, now everyone can get involved, Android users, Apple users. You can tune in on a desktop. If you miss the call, you can go ahead and um, and listen to any of them because they're all archived. So recorded podcast format. Uh, this is basically an AMA, right? Ask me anything. We'll talk about anything. With respect to markets, uh, whether it's crypto markets, legacy markets, you want to talk about horses, you want to talk about, you know, the weather, I don't care, as long as it stays away from politics and religion. Uh, and I think it's a good time to mention that I am, my area of competence is uh, not on the battlefield. So talking about the war and the conflict in Ukraine and Russia is probably not the best idea either. Um, who knows, who knows the, you know, uh how valid the information that we're even getting is. So we'll try to keep it. We'll try to keep it focused on markets, but that can get boring. Um, again, none of this is financial advice, right? Yada yada yada. Uh, all right. So a few things, right? Just a couple topics we could get into. Doors we can open. Um, we obviously had the FOMC meeting. All right, we had a twenty-five basis point raise. You know, it was a. Um, a couple of people said it was a dovish meeting. It was, I think it was a predominantly, I, I think Powell's responses were predominantly hawkish. Um, 
you know, they said, I think maybe the one dubbish thing that was said was, you know, the language obviously is something we really focus on. I think something along the lines of like, you know, something along the lines of being accommodative or, you know, there to protect the economy, something, it, it sounded along the lines of what they've said in the past before they, you know, injected stimulus into the market, sort of like to the effect of we'll be a backstop. I think there was some kind of vague language um, that sounded similar to that, but for the most part, the, you know, everything else he said was hawkish. And one of the things that he said was, you know, and he kept reiterating was that the uh, economy is in a very strong place, right? The economy is in a very strong place, basically saying that the economy can take any kind of, um, any kind of tightening, right? Any kind of accelerated tightening or unwinding of the balance sheet. So that's not good. Um, we had a positive response, right? There's a few things we could get into about maybe, or rather just get into some conjecture as to why we had a, a positive response. Um, but it's important to remember that the entire outlook of the year has not changed. Um, I think I said back in January, like it's going to be a rough year. And that was before, you know, it's going to be a volatile year. It's going to be a choppy year. It's going to be a lot of uncertainty. That was before anything with Russia and Ukraine. So that was just like, I mean, it's a clown show right now. Um, so with respect to the Fed, they pretty much have an open door for a 50-point raise at any meeting in the future, right? In the foreseeable near future. So, you know, the next um, next time we're going to be focusing on is, is during May. But, you know, they're kind of alluding to the fact that they want to tighten more uh, and that they want to uh, do this at a bit more of a rapid pace. And that if anything, you know, the reason for 25 basis points in March was because of, you know, the uncertainty that the conflict in Russia and Ukraine has created. You know, we have uh, oil prices that have shot up, commodity prices that have shot up. Inflation is obviously um, a tremendous problem. Now, rates aren't going to do anything, really. I mean, unless they go full on like scorched earth, you know, uh, fury of 10,000 burning suns like Blocker. But I, I don't think that that's going to happen. You know, we know that well, we're, we're fairly certain that, uh, you know, a good amount of this inflation is because of supply chain issues. But now because of the conflict, it's only been, um, I guess the best way to put it is it's been exacerbated. So that 50 basis point, I think, you know, listen, um, it's one thing like where we'll try to always be as optimistic as possible. And yeah, you know, oh, the Fed's going to raise rates the first meeting and then, you know, by the time the next meeting comes around, like there's going to, they're going to find a reason not to raise rates. Like, I don't know. Like I, I had that opinion, um, not too long ago. Right. I, I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know that the fed has been, you know, someone said, I said something along the lines of like, Oh, looking for some certainty by the fed. And, and people were like, Oh, you know, they never give you any certainty. Well, they kind of do. Um, they're not really, they're, they're really stressing the point that, they want to raise as an, at an accelerated pace. You know, Powell is obviously very careful with his language, um, but that there's room for it, right? And that the economy can handle it. So it's kind of like they're prepping us for what is, you know, don't fade the Fed part two. And it's just, it's obviously, it's not the one that's conducive towards upside. It, it, it is more along the lines of it's going to be, again, a very choppy, rough year. Um, but at least we got the first one out of the way, right? We got the first period of uncertainty out of the way. And we're looking at, you know, maybe seven hikes this year. Obviously, 
you know, that something can always change, right? I, I do think that it's, you know, we are, we're looking at, you know, a yield curve that is flattening, that is spelling out recession. Um, obviously, that's terrible. I, I shared the post yesterday about, um, it was a, a post uh, that was full of responses, uh, responses as to how inflation was hurting people, um, like their personal stories. And, you know, I, I count my blessings because some of those stories were just, just terribly sad. Like, oh, I'm trying to make it on $10 a day. I've I'm a teacher and I have two jobs. Like I'm an educator, right? In a first world country. And I have to look for a second, third job. So it's, uh, it's, it's, I mean, if you live in like New York and you live in some of their area, other areas within the United States, it's like, you might not notice anything, but that is right. What that's a a small fraction of, of really what's going on. So I think the fed has room, obviously, um, Risk assets don't, you know, appreciate tightening conditions. Um, but I think ultimately the Fed is the one that has to step back in. So they'll kind of be the ones to abuse us and then be the ones to pick us up again. You know, one thing you could think of right now is like, where does money go? Um, up until a couple of days ago, you wouldn't have thought that money would have gone into any Chinese markets. But there was a, a pretty significant bounce in um, Chinese equities. But not for nothing, everything was more or less pounded across the board. So we're seeing a good amount of mean reversion right now. And I think it's really important to remember that, you know, by many, if not all, subjective measures of a bear market, uh, markets are in one right now. So any kind of significant move to the upside is something that you ultimately, I think, you know, this is how I'm applying as well. Like I get really happy when markets are moving up and everyone's in a better mood. But at the same time, I am thinking like, whoa, all right, constantly have to, you know, check my own temperature, making sure that I'm not getting too euphoric and forgetting like, you know, what keeps you alive in this game, right? Which is taking profits, seeing the bigger picture, zooming out, not getting, you know, um, swept up in the narrative or romanced by, you know, what the current, you know, recency bias is having us, um, you know, focus on. So equities, you know, significant bounce in tech, significant bounce in Chinese stocks, um, I will say that like the way things are right now, like you, why would you buy bonds, right? Why would you buy treasuries? Uh, so really where can money go right now? Um, I, I said before I have like a barbell portfolio at this point, I, my crypto portfolio dwarfs my legacy portfolio, which is mostly just passive indexing, um, you know, basically buying the S and P my portfolio is basically a barbell portfolio between crypto and cash, Right. Um, so diametric opposites, risk off and, you know, and risk on to the extreme. Um, I think that money can really only go in a couple places and, and happens to be that the places that right now look attractive for capital are equities and crypto. I think that obviously Bitcoin has like I've said before, maybe the best way that I could think of Bitcoin is like it's a chameleon, right? It's it's predominantly a risk asset. Right. Um, so it's further out the risk curve. It's going to follow like equity beta. I said it, you know, trades sort of like a tech stock. Doesn't mean it trades, you know, uh, at a tick by tick level as a tech stock would, or the same kind of microstructural behavior. It just means like it's it's beta to the S and P, right? It's higher beta to the S and P, and usually you're going to find that in you know tech. Think about like the NQ, QQQ. Um, so crypto looks attractive. Specifically, the, it's not like crypto. Excuse me. Let me rephrase that. 
crypto as a whole doesn't necessarily look attractive. There are things that across the board are you know completely oversold. I think that you don't want to just go like, you know, run through a bunch of charts with an RSI and the weekly and daily and say, oh, you know, we're, we've had the warning shot at the oversold level. Now we're moving towards it again. Like this is usually a good time to start picking up some spot bags. I think you really want to be picky. And as the market matures, it's going to be more similar to legacy markets where, you know, find strength, right? You want to find the fastest horse in the race. You want to find things that have either, you know, momentum, have had significant momentum in the past or showing continued signs of strength, you know, weathering the storm, quote, unquote. Um, they have some kind of strong fundamentals, tokenomics, uh, whatever can spin a narrative, you know, well enough to get buyers to hit the long button. Um, so it doesn't mean everything, right? But we're seeing signs of strength. In particular, you know, we have idiosyncratic strength in uh, Zcash. We have it in AVAX. Um, Solana showing some signs of life, but you never know if it's a sign of life or if it's kind of like the, I mean, not to be morbid, but like the respiration that even a dead body will have once in a while. I think, you know, where they expel gases, that's a horrible comparison to go to, but, <laughs> um, you know, it's, uh, or maybe dead cat bounce. Maybe that's the best, best way to talk about it, but still sort of keep along the lines of death and, <laughs> and, uh, activity after death. Um, so there is sign, there are signs of strength across the board. I would mostly focus on them. I wouldn't start, I wouldn't look at signs of strength. And then, you know, for example, like in a market that's moving up um, and you have strong breadth across the board, you have pairs that are, you know, pretty tight. Um, and you're basically, you know, if you have a, a pair that has been highly correlated with another and one pair is, you know, taking the lead, sometimes, you know, a lot of times in the, in the middle of the bull market, what you can really do is just kind of hop on the one that has not caught up yet um, to more or less close that gap. I don't think that we're necessarily in an environment like that right now where like, let's say that you saw that, you know, um, this is just how I think, you know, Sol Luna AVAX. AVAX is showing a lot of strength right now. I don't think it means like, okay, once AVAX is, you know, put a move to the upside, it means that Sol is just going to catch up and they're going to just kind of keep this parity. Um, I think that there are, narratives right now that are worth taking advantage of specifically you know if we if we consider you know the effect that doquan so part of the tarot ecosystem has had on avax um has ultimately had on btc you know i think the original conversation was for um for btc i think uh doquan so part of the tarot ecosystem the head um the original idea was to buy 1.2 billion dollars worth of btc they were going to OTC this, and it's kind of hilarious that some people were like, oh, that's going to mean it's not going to have any market impact. OTC, if no one's just going to, if there's no counterparty to sell $1.2 billion worth of BTC, the OTC is going to put that job at, you know, through desks on exchanges. So they're going to be just buying it as best they can. Uh, and the execution method in crypto, which is not the most popular in legacy, is a TWAP. So it's time-weighted average price algorithm. So just think about like, I want to buy 50 BTC every five minutes, right? Algo just executes that over a period of time until the order's filled. It's good when you know, there's a, a good amount of liquidity in the market. So it went from 1.2 to potentially last night, if anyone tuned in, I was listening last night, to I think $3 billion. So they're essentially like building a balance sheet. And I think they're doing the same with, with AVAX as well. I think that's the idea. It's not like a hostile takeover. It's like they're fortifying their balance sheet with other um, strong cryptos, right? So in the case of, uh, and obviously, this this is a lot more complex than fortifying their balance sheet, but it's just the language that I'm using. It has to do with their yields and their reserves as well. 
Um, so, you know, BTC, beneficiary of that, it's a lot of capital, okay? $3.2, billion, even a billion dollars is going to move the market, right? And it's, if, even if a $250 million order was executed through TWAP, that's going to have a significant impact, especially when the market starts getting out of the way, when market makers start realizing, you know, there's an amount of toxicity picking up in the order flow. Um, so AVAX benefited from him as well, right? So immediately when he posted yesterday, AVAX is up like 20-something percent now. Could be more than that. I'm still in an AVAX long. I picked that. Uh, I've been adding AVAX spot. Um, I'm in currently. I'm in BTC and I'm in ETH, and I am uh, in AVAX all spot positions. So one thing I guess to point out, and then we'll, I'll take some questions. Um, it's Saturday, so nothing's going on. Um, there's no really offside indication from funding or, or borrow rates that like bulls are way ahead of themselves on this move. If anything, I think the thing to point out is that we're seeing a market now that has shallower dips. Um, the aggression by the short side is getting penalized a lot faster. So if you look at BTC, uh, in particular on the low timeframes, you see that on Binance, on FTX, um, on Bybit, when there are aggressors that are stepping in, like sort of at the break of a local low, uh, it's immediately getting recovered and, and, and they're getting pushed out of their positions. Um, there was also a, a TWAP this morning that was uh, taking place through Coinbase. So that, you know, kind of just steamrolls anyone who's fading in on the low timeframes. Um, so shallow pullbacks right now, sort of perky, jumpy price action to the upside, which is always good. Some some spring that we really haven't had. But, you know, we were coming out of like if you're too zoomed in, it'll be really obvious. Um, it's, you know, it, it's really just that we went from a period where things were really compressed from like the 9th all the way to the 14th. Uh, to finally some, you know, a little bit of zip, right? A little bit of um, kinetic energy. So another thing to point out, and then I'll open it up, is, uh, yeah, funding's neutral, right? Just nothing really um, that stands out, like indicating that anyone is truly offsides. Um, derivative markets, you know, they tend to get heated up. Um, if we look at BTC, one thing that it hadn't been able to do is to really just accept in this region where we are right now. So we had been able to accept and not not like accept but we're sort of favoring extremes um the center of this range from like 42 down to you know 40 so kind of just the, the the if you look at it if you were to draw a triangle right now it would be it would split the triangle in half right you would make uh what two isosceles triangles um but if you look between 40 so it's like 39.5 and you know 42 uh, price really just zipped between those levels. Um, so, you know, we consolidated at the highs. You know, first, we consolidated at the lows around 34 to 36, right? Going back to February. Zipped up through that pocket. Had an air pocket, right? Air pocket was present from the move down. Really no, no two-way trade, right? Um, so it's kind of a vacuum, right? If you fall back in that level, you're going to expect price to move pretty quickly. If it doesn't, reject immediately at one of the edges, so consolidate, zip through the level, back down towards the lows, consolidate, zip through the level. We've zipped through it the entire time, right? We haven't, um, more locally, we were rejected uh, much faster. So March 9th, March 10th, uh, we didn't really spend much time up there whatsoever. Whereas, you know, the previous consolidations lasted, you know, it was three days. And before that, it was a week, a week and a, I think it was a week and a half going back to um, February, middle of February. So this is the first time we're just hanging out in this area. So what it's showing you is that one we're funneling so price is consolidating still within a range right so it's one thing where i have to like take a breather because you you know you get kind of amped up and then you realize like oh 
Uh, we're still in the range. But from just a local point of view, we're able to finally accept in an area that was not accepting of price behavior at all. Um, and we're favoring and we're favoring a region, you know, towards the highs, towards that 42 level where most recently we were not able to spend much time at all. So, um, you know, basically just if you're just thinking like uh, the same kind of mentality you you apply from TPO or time price opportunity, it's like the market has now more opportunity to sell down here. And instead of us being rejected very quickly and it not being accepting of prices, you know, we're able to establish value um, in a region that was not conducive towards this whatsoever in the last, you know, going on the last, it's the last quarter, right? Uh, so that's a positive. I mean, I think that, you know, not for nothing, I don't think it's going to be this easy where the market's just going to rip up through the level. Um, if you look at like what we're doing right now, it kind of reminds me a little bit of like, June 29th through July period where it looked like, all right, you know, we're really tightening up and, and maybe we're going to be able to create a tighter trigger because of this, you know, sort of easier high and, or a more local high and low to base a, a breakout off of. And then the market went on to melt down and then find, um, you know, demand ultimately leading to a spring up that took us from one side of the range to the other in a pretty, pretty short amount of time. So I don't know. I just, I would be careful. I'm already kind of comfy in position um, from a, Lower time frame trading standpoint, I don't really have any interest in anything until uh, until tomorrow's futures open, uh, which we'll see. You know how equity, how much of a follow through equities have. Another thing to point out is like there was a lot of uncertainty, a lot of downside insurance purchase leading into this FOMC. If you guys remember back in January, I was saying like I'm not going to do anything major until the FOMC. Um, so now that that doubt or uncertainty has been removed. A lot of those hedges have been unwound, um, and if you're, you know, an options writer, if you're selling, um, if you're selling puts, right, you're going to be hedging that. And, you know, if you're a legacy, you're going to definitely, usually, going to be definitely, usually, <laughs> you're more, you're more likely than not delta neutral. So you're going to have um, hedges for all of the puts that you sell. So you're not going to be exposed to any kind of directional risk. Meaning, if you sold puts, your short futures. Um, you know, you're short the S&P and uh, ultimately when those puts expire, right, or those hedges unwind, you're able to unwind, you know, or rather when those um, puts are no longer, you know, if they don't expire in the money or they just, you know, expire valueless, your hedging unwind is going to lead to some kind of upside relief, right? Because you're, you know, you're short futures, you're buying back those hedges and it kind of just gives the market a little bit of, um, you know, uh, wind in its sails. So, I don't know how long this lasts, right? I mean, the equities bounce was very significant. If you look at, for example, the ES this is closed at 44.65. Uh, and then if we look at, you know, something like um, what the NQ, I mean, it, big bounces across the board. I think that these are, you know, rallies, honestly. I don't think that we're looking at all-time high move anytime in the near future. I think that these are going to be setting up for some pretty good sell opportunities, honestly. I, I And I don't want to, like, take the wind out of anyone's sales with crypto. I think it's kind of the same with BTC. Like, I think Bitcoin is due for a larger bounce. So what I'm looking at is maybe, like I've said, you know, 52.50. Chances are if we're all kind of looking at that level. You know, Bitcoin has a tendency to overthrow. So maybe we're surprised. But I don't think that it's a good idea to sort of Unless you're, you're, this is your cold storage, your spot, right? That you're not messing around with. If you're trading and you're, you know, you're swinging, you have to have an idea of where you're going to be taking profit. The next major low volume node, the ledge, is right around 53. 
I think that honestly, for me, I'm going to be looking to front run that um, because I think it's important to just zoom out and just remember where we are in this in this trading, you know, in this current environment geopolitically, um, even without you know the geopolitical tension. Uh, it's just a, a market that doesn't have it doesn't have the the Fed lever pulled in our favor. So it's it's probably going to present us with some good selling opportunities that I think would be lining up probably around. You know, if all things work out and this trend moves up, you know, May, June, um, if March in the past has been red 85% of the time, 80% of the time, that's kind of back of the envelope. Um, and April's have been, for the most part, green. So red March, green April, that's, you know, that's, you, that's backward looking, right? But anyway, I want to open it up. So, Zach, let me get you on here. Hey, what's up, man? Hey, can you hear me? I can't hear oh, you. Oh, sorry buddy. about that. Yeah, just figuring out the mic thing. First time using it. All um, right. Just had, a, just, just had a quick question for you, uh, just in regards to, um, I guess, U.S.-based traders um, having access to uh, perps. I know you use Femix, and Femix, I, I've, I got into Femix because of you, and it's actually a pretty fluid and great platform uh but just in terms of like options of pairs it still kind of pales in comparison to the stuff that's available on uh ftx or bybit um or some of the other um non-us exchanges um so i was just wondering it kind of seems just looking at twitter it kind of seems like a lot of these people who i'm fairly sure are based in the u.s must be using you know some of these non-us um exchanges uh for trading perps and i know you can use a vpn and all of that stuff but just from like a legal standpoint is that like are you safe doing that come tax season or is that is that just not something you do at all or like what i guess kind of wondering what approach you take if you just steal steer clear of that and use femex and whatever options you have available to you or i don't know if if you have any thoughts on that yeah so i'll i'll say a couple things first um when i am trading on any exchanges i just i hop on a quick gulf stream to uh, a country that's you know allowed (laughs) Um, I will say, you know, I'm teasing, but I won't say, obviously, I don't want to like throw myself under the bus. I mean, it's pretty obvious what exchanges uh, a lot of us use and are from the States. Um, What I will say is that it's not, okay, so first of all, I'm not an attorney, right? I'm not a lawyer. Uh, This can change, Right, right. right, as we're talking about it, but it's not illegal for you to use them. So there's no legal recourse on your end. Like it's not illegal for you to use them. It's on the exchanges side to make sure that you're not able to use them. So that's the first thing. Um, so most people who trade on, yeah, there's a ton of volume on all of these exchanges that are, you know, quote, unquote, they don't permit United States citizens to trade on them. A ton of that volume comes from the United States. It's because people use VPNs, right? Yeah. Some yeah. of them are more strict than others. Um, you know, some of these exchanges that, you know, that say that, you know, they check, uh, you know, IPs, they don't like some of them I've noticed, you don't even have your VPN on and nothing happens. It's like, I don't know, it takes the first sign and you ever did. And then that counts forward. Who knows? Um, Binance is obviously extremely strict. Um, FTX, I think still offers um, a like super low tier $2,000 withdrawal, like base level, no KYC. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of the people that I, you know, know that trade on FTX, they have some kind of hookup where they have like 
a relationship with either someone there or they have a, you know, some kind of ID that is not them, that is based out of another country, you know, gets sketchy there. But listen, that's a lot of people, right? It's reality. Mm -hmm. More importantly than anything else, though, like you still have to pay your taxes on the exchanges. Um, and there's nothing right. illegal about like, you know, that if you're on the exchange, you just get your CVD, you know, your CVD, your uh, uh, CSV. Um, and that's it. Like you pay your taxes no matter what, regardless of what exchange you're on. Uh, what I will say is like the exchanges um, that are like your non-KYC exchanges, um, they are not like very, he- they're obviously not helpful for United States citizens. Um, in providing certain tax, you know, compliance or, you know, tax forms rather, like you're trading on Coinbase, you're trading on Gemini, if you're trading on any US-based exchange, you're going to get a 1099, right? If you have a certain amount of volume, um, that's going to get sent to the IRS. And you might not get a copy, honestly, but you're still, it's still on you to make sure that you file your taxes correctly. Uh, Obviously, non-KYC exchanges that are offshore, they don't do that. Um, so it's on you to make sure that you do the right thing. Uh, one thing that's noticeable is like getting your data off the exchanges is never like a very, you know, one click and it's done task. Usually it's like it's grouped in like months, like you get to download two months at a time. I think one thing that you might be able to do is reach out to the exchange and say you want like, um, you know, they could email you an entire trading history. Uh, either way, it's it's one, it's not illegal for you so it's not like if you trade on the exchanges you're going to get in trouble um from my from my understanding and the understanding of people who actually are in the know um and then two you still have to you know do the right thing on your end and make sure that you pay taxes plugging like when it comes to taxes like it sucks because every tax piece of tax software sucks i don't care what what the tax software companies say I've used all of them and like I paid for every single one, the high end version. And that's, I I paid a lot of money just to do this experiment just to see, you know, how they were matching up with each other. They're all different. All of them are different. But then if you're on Twitter and you say that like a representative will message you, you know, they'll write back in your tweet. What are you talking about? It's like, no, it's not. The tax companies put the most fear in the users because they're on Twitter all day saying like, you have to make sure you do it. Otherwise you're going to go to jail, blah, blah, blah. And then you use their platform and you realize like it's the it's like a, a best foot, you know, good faith effort because their platform, most of the shit that you're using now, like DeFi related, just doesn't get translated properly. Like I had to go through mine and like fix errors that were just absolutely ridiculous, you know, like seven figure errors that were it just who knows, like a, maybe a, the way that the data was taken in and, and how it was sorted after. Like if, if stuff right. like where, if you didn't look into it, you might be paying like an exorbitant amount extra that, you know, would just go sort of under the radar. So with right. KYC, yeah. one, it's uh, again, not an attorney, but it's, it's on the exchange. It's not on you. So plenty of people are like jumping the fence on that one. And two, no matter where you're trading, right. If you make a profit, you have to, you know, you have to pay taxes on that. Now, some people, they like, will take all the profit out and then pay it on the lump sum and, you know, because the exchanges aren't helpful. But what you end up missing, obviously, is the proof of your cost basis, which for a lot of people is going to be troublesome, obviously. Right, right. Okay, perfect. Yeah, that was kind of like the straightforward answer I was looking for. It's kind of the idea I had, but it, it, it's hard to get a straight answer out of, out of people just messaging it on Twitter because it kind of seems like something they 
I don't know, don't want to directly answer, but, um, but yeah. And, and as far as taxes, um, yeah, I kind of had the same experience as you did. Um, and went through a bunch of different services and then actually I'm currently having a pretty good experience with uh, token tax, depending on how much, you know, you're, you're grossing, um, their enterprise, uh, uh, package is, is super helpful because you just get an entire team of people just basically working for you uh, to do your taxes. It all be, obviously has to make sense uh, based on, you know, what your um, size is. But, you know, for larger uh, accounts, they're pretty good experience. And as, 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 as far as kind of what, do I, what, what I've experienced across kind of like the full range of options out there right now. Um, but, yeah, uh, just sharing that. But I appreciate your answer, man. Thanks, man. All right, Brian, what's up, man? Get you in here. Hey, what's up, buddy? Hey, how's it going? Good, man. It's funny that the last uh, caller asked that because I, w- I was thinking about asking that before and I just didn't know if that was like appropriate, but <laughs> um, I-, I figured that was the case. That's what I, that's what I figured. Um, but yeah, I wanted to get your uh, thoughts on how Bitcoin looks. Like, I think, I think, like, uh, I think you're right about things setting up for like possibly like a sell-off later, like higher on like stocks and Bitcoin. Um, but what do you think, what do you think about how quickly you would need to see like, for example, like the mid forties area, like flipped for support in terms of like this move being like any, like, you know, uh, imminent at all. I mean, I, I honestly, I'm not like um, in the middle of the range. I'm not really going to put a time on it uh, just because I, I know that in the past, like that's set up for a disappointment. I mean, if you look back at like right now, it's showing signs of strength that it hasn't shown um, throughout this range in the fact that it's able to just like hold these levels where it just zipped through in the past. There's some springiness and price action that wasn't around. Um, We have a I think another thing that's worth mentioning is like we have kind of a narrative shift that really benefits BTC or strengthening of the narrative, especially when you have people like Gundlach, um, you know, the, the bond king sort of so to speak coming on and saying that he likes bitcoin going into the next fomc like this isn't a guy who's like just trying to find exit liquidity um i think he said something similar along the lines when btc was honestly between three and four k not in the same exact context but you know he hasn't uh he hasn't been like a bill ackman with his public calls and then meanwhile taking the other side of the trade um and then you have people like you know do kwan who this guy kind of sounds like he's a, a man on a mission. He has a little bit of an ego to satisfy and, and wants to buy $3, million, $3 billion worth of BTC. I think without those two, Bitcoin is looking good right now. And with those two, it just makes it that much more attractive. The market was markets across the board, like tech, crypto, very oversold. And even in, like I said, in a bear market period, you're going to have rallies that have legs beyond just like a couple days bounce. Right. Meaning like a trend that persists and, you know, begins to bring most of the market under the guise that the trend has changed, where you have something that moves to the upside for like one or two months. So I I don't want to like put a time on how long it has to hold, you know, 40K or or whatever level. I think obviously the range levels are like a lot of people might be better off, like still just playing the most obvious range levels. Right. So like 35K. 44, 5, 45 region, still there, right? Hasn't changed. Like it's static. It's not dynamic level, like a trend line or it's, you know, it's a, it's a supply level. So a, a move above that level, I think, you know, clearly sets up that play up to 50, 52. 
Um, where we are right now, though, you know, there's been times in the past where we've had like signs of strength off of a low, slow grind up, and then ended up rolling again. So this happened back in September 2020. Um, we've had a couple slow grinds that have kind of folded over and looked like, oh, that was just another, you know, we just bought the top again uh, that ended up going on to expand much further up. I, I I think Bitcoin looks good. I think something feels like it's changed in the last week and a half. I think a lot of it also is benefited from the uncertainty removed of the first, you know, hey, this is the first meeting. We're going into obviously a period where they're not going to be you know, buying bonds anymore. You know, they're potentially going to be unwinding their balance sheet. You know, we're going to be tightening. So now we have the first meeting out of the way. Um, they didn't really help us by being hawkish, obviously, but we don't have anything until May. Uh, I think that the market has it, it has more upside ahead of it just because you have a good amount of hedges, again, that are like likely to unwind in equities. Um, the market was pretty was positioned across the board uh, in anticipation of further downside. If you, There's a couple other things you could look at, too, like um, non-levered institutional money, equities, uh, equities funds, like sold a ton into these lows. So there's a possibility that they always are, are one to chase up. Right. To, to, you know, like being forced to regain exposure, because if you're a fund, right, I mean, if you're a fund and you have a mandate, it's one thing. But if you're like a fast money fund and you don't get back in on the trend, like that could be the end of you. Right. You know, if, if you are on the sidelines and prices up, you know, if like equities are back up, um, let's say like above 46. Right. And you're still not you haven't gotten any exposure again, like it might be done. You, you might be done. Um, you know, your ability to, to get back in on the trend in a meaningful way, you know, going into like second quarter, it just, it, it's ugly. Um, so I, like, I'm not putting a time limit on BTC. I think that Bitcoin's showing strength idiosyncratically. I think ETH is as well. So with regards to the merge, I think that is something that is likely to have legs. Um, and then you have some other strong pairs that were you know, strong across the board for the longest time that are now showing signs of strength again. I don't think it's a whole market move up moment. I mean, maybe DeFi benefits, maybe it's, you know, uh, L2s, who knows? Either way right now, um, I don't think that you could be, I, I don't think that you want to be uh, bearish. I think you want to start looking for the opportunity to get involved, whether it's another pullback um, remains to be seen, but chances are that we are, you know, the month of April is, is a good month. So, you know, the, the, sometimes the best way that I, the way that I try to look at the market is if I'm really confident, like, am I better off, like just putting more, more spot in dry, in, I was going to say dry storage in cold storage. Right. And, and just looking at this as, you know, sort of like a trade around, do I think that the markets, the probability of the market being higher in April is, you know, do, what do I think of that probability? And if it's high, if it's if it's over 60 percent, then I'm probably just going to step back more from like the swing trading, put away some more spot in a way that I can't touch it and, you know, continue to focus on the low time frames, but not really meddle with anything unless anything big changes. And I guess like one of the things you would have to say, like that would be significant to change would probably be like 39 breaking, um, you know, just because what we've broken out of was a very tight local range. Right. So from like the 10th of March going to the was that the 15th or the 16th tight range. 
Um, nice composite, broke to the upside, showing signs of acceptance in a gap we were unable to accept within. So if we lost 39, then yeah, maybe we're looking back down, you know, 37, 35. Uh, but until that day comes, it, I think right now it's looking like a lot of things want to continue to push up. Yeah, I think it's funny with the Fed. Uh, it seems like they trot out uh, Bullard and Waller to be like extra hawkish, hawkish on stuff. And like, and like Jerome Powell is sort of the opposite. So it's kind of funny. I, I feel like there's a lot of posturing going on with them. And I'm not sure that they actually believe that the economy is strong. I, I think I don't think they believe that at all. But I do think it's like good to be cautious, like in terms of what the Fed's going to do, obviously. I don't think it's good to just like fade them entirely. Right. Um, right. So I, I definitely agree. I just wonder like what they really think. Um, yeah, no, it's like, it's definitely a year where, you know, I, I was saying like the first meeting is a Fed watching meeting, like everyone is waiting for the meeting to pass so that we have a little bit more, uh, you know, clarity. I think the year is going to be like that, right? It's the, what we don't have right now is the lever of liquidity pulled in our favor. So when that, like, that's the thing that you just don't fade, right? When the Fed says that they're buying, you don't sit there still like with your personal account and be like, I'm going to fit, you know, this is it's all going down. Like, no. <laughs> This is like a, a flow. This is like, you know, a dam being let go or a dam bursting. So without that, I think it's just a year of uncertainty where it's, you know, when we get closer to May, the whole narrative is going to pick up again about, hey, this is this the one where it's going to be a 50 basis point, you know, rate hike. So I think we're due for for this. Yeah, you know, I think we're due for this uncertainty for you know, at least into the third quarter. So Yeah. And so you think like, you know, if we have like a Bitcoin run up into like the 50s, like you you're basically like probably looking for more of like a narrative thing than like a, you know, than the market being too frothy uh, in totally. terms of like looking for downside. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I right. think if like, if we move up in, you know, above 50 and, you know, inflation is, you know, we, we have another CPI print coming up. Inflation is looking, you know, more and more ugly. Um, and we see more of this kind of public narrative around maybe Bitcoin being gold, two, you know, the whole gold 2.0, you know, hedge against inflation. You do have people like, you know, large people coming around now more and more. And it's kind of been like a meme for the last year and a half, like institutional. It's been meme forever with crypto. But it's not a lie. Like crypto has less penetration than any other asset class as far as institutional money goes. So, yeah, you're going to continue to have more and more institutional people come around because, it's the one market where most of them aren't around, right? Or, or most of them are not exposed yet. Um, and it doesn't mean like fast money, like hedge funds. Like a lot of people in crypto seem to like attribute smart money or hedge funds with smart money. Hedge funds, smart money, fast money gets thrown around into like one concept or one um, entity. There's, a, there's like 5,000 hedge funds in the United States. It's not really them that matter. It's the large, long-only money managers, the large asset managers that are really significant. Like you're, you know, Gunblock coming out and saying that he's bullish on BTC. That's not like, I don't think that that's flippant. I think that that means something. And I think that more than maybe just him, you know, on his own positioning, I think it's a, it's a sort of signaling mechanism to other people that are like, okay, maybe I got to get, you know, I have to get off zero at some point. Like this thing is not dying. Um, and clearly in this environment, you know, before it was like, uh, it was, you know, the, the trucker issue in Canada. Um, then it was, you know, it's the Russia-Ukraine conflict. It's clearly, um, you know, with respect to, to the dollar and the devaluing of the dollar. There's a lot of things right now that are favoring or, or rather that have the potential to 
um, sort of lube the, you know, the wheels on this one and, and to keep this going. And a story just needs to be, you know, bought into by enough people, right? It's never really like whether or not it's true. I mean, it's always like, in my opinion, I don't really care too much about whether or not it's true. I just care about other people believing whether or not, you know, believing it enough right, to, to where we're going to get more momentum. Um, so it's something that, you know, I'm going to be playing by ear just because I, I don't want to be over. I found like this morning I was, you know, like take, I, I felt bullish. Like it sounds silly, but I was like pretty bullish this morning. Like woke up, good mood, market looks good. You know, obviously it always helps when your positions are, are deep in the money, but um, I, I don't want to let that extend too far out where you're like, where you're forgetting like, oh no, we're in a range, you know, and this is, we still have a shitty year ahead of us potentially. But at the same time, like, I don't want to, um, I don't want to cut too early because I, I have a tendency to do that. Like I have a tendency to like capture a 10, 15% move and be like, that was great. And then, you know, it runs like another 20, 25%, right? And then you're dancing back and forth with it. So everything looks good now though, in my opinion. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. Good talking to you. I'll let someone else uh, get in here. All right, Brian. Good talk. All right. What's up, Danny? Hey, can you hear me, man? Hey, man. How's it going? Good. Um, yeah, so it's just interesting. I've noticed as well, I think I think you tweeted out a couple of days ago that, you know, the price action has changed quite a lot. Um, you can tell just the, the sort of the feel of what's happening in the market. You mentioned the microstructures changed. And you said earlier on the call that you noticed there was a TWAP on Coinbase um, a couple of days ago or last trading session i was just wondering what tools do you use to identify those changes in microstructure and specifically identify there's a twop currently being deployed on coinbase or another exchange or is it just hours of looking at order books and price action or do you have specific analytical tools that look at the order books on different exchanges and notice when these changes happen no, I mean, I don't have anything automated for it that's going to like flash a green light when it has enough repeating behavior that would be similar to a TWAP. I would love that, but I think it would be something that would be probably giving a lot of false positives. Uh, as far as change of micro, microstructure, uh, one of them obviously is like flipping this micro consolidation or composite that we had from the 10th to the 16th. So that's always yeah. a good sign. You know, we rejected really hard. We had a, you know, a, a volatile day that you'd expect um, from an FOMC meeting rejected really hard, but then we're able to rip up, hold the level and continue to press forward and, and continue to trade higher, which I think is one of the most obviously important signs, right? Markets continue yeah. to trade higher, staying bid. So both ETH and um, BTC, if you just looked at just market depth from like two to 5%, it's pretty stacked, which is always a good thing. Yeah. Um, and then as far as the TWAP goes, you know, TWAP is something where honestly, like what, what can help you begin to maybe map out the TWAP forming is um, a diagonal trend line. Like if you look at like a, a two, and it's not just that, because that, that would be ridiculous. But if you look at um, a two, like a, a one to three minute chart, you could use a five minute, but then it just kind of clumps everything up. If you look at like a one to three minute chart, um, you'll see like very programmatic buying behavior initially, yeah. at, you know, with it, it's almost like you could, you could begin to assume what kind of interval they're on, but it follows a very, a very 
clean linear line, right? It's never like price is able to drop outside of the structure as it begins to stair step up. So if you're, you know, imagine like it's forming a 45 degree angle up, price is, you know, jumping up um, $150 every three minutes. Every time you see that occur, you see that, you know, it's the same sort of repetitive delta as well. So, you know, you might see that there's so it's literally like 50 BTC every, every three minutes or a hundred BTC every three minutes. And that's going to have more of a profound impact on price. At some point market's going to be getting out of the way of that. And it's not going to be good to use a TWAP. Um, yeah. But it might be, you know, you could look at the, as that's happening, a lot of times if you're looking at some kind of tape as well, if it's a faster TWAP, you would notice it. Like a, there, there are TWAPs that are more like machine gun orders where you'll see like, like, Rap, 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 like a bunch of, it doesn't make a noise, but it's like on the tape, you'll see the interval of like 20K, 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 or 25K, or, you know, a clip of like, or, you know, 10, 20 orders coming in in a very short amount of time. Uh, a lot of times me, it's it's not necessarily that, listen, I don't, it might not even be a TWAP in this particular moment, but it is so close to looking like how they look, you know, sure. almost perfectly and price is just kind of chewing its way up that it's more than likely that it is one. And it always helps, obviously, when you sort of know that there are sharks in the water that have said very clearly, we are trying to build a large position in BTC. And you know that, for example, the way that they're going to get involved, you know, in a thicker, it's not like, again, it's not the best tool to use, but you can't say you're going to go buy it all at once. You can't put it in a limit order can't use an iceberg so you use a you know use a t-wop because the market's thick enough to where it could chew through something yeah um so it's a combination of like lower time frame market structure it's got a very specific pattern um so again the exam one of the best examples uh that i gave and this was going on there's so it looked like there was a t-wop going back to the 8th and 9th of march you could see it yeah. on, the lead, on the lead up um, but then more recently, I mean, apparently this is from a couple people that are close to him. More recently, uh, Do Kwan added more BTC and was entering in, I believe this was right before the FOMC. So I think it was a period of March 15th, um, from like seven to 21 UTC. Yeah. And- I mean, it's, it's strange behavior with the Luna guys and Do Kwan. You know, I listen to the Udi uh, spaces and like he's, you know, he's basically saying he's going to be in the market for two, three billion, possibly more. Is that not just a, that's a strange tactic, right? If you're going to go and buy such a massive position of BTC to sort of advertise it pre putting in the orders. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure how credible that piece of information is. It, it seems like a reckless thing to be doing if you're building a position to advertise it pre doing it. I mean, so the one thing that we've seen in crypto more consistently than, than a lot of other things is that it's not an efficient market. So whether it's like uh, a news, whether it's like a fundamental release or a, something a project is doing in an altcoin or a large buyer, for example, like Michael Saylor told us his intentions the entire time. Yeah. yeah. Um, this market does not reflect things the way that an equity, you know, the equity markets would. It's efficient. It's it's not efficient in that sense. You know, markets in markets in general tend to be really efficient on the long in the long term and really inefficient in the short term. In crypto, yeah. there's a ton of inefficiency. And one, it's like who's going to race to try to fill? I mean, 
Doquan says that, yeah, and you have to definitely have to approach it with a degree of, of skepticism, right? Yeah. You don't want to just hear that. And then, I mean, I'm certainly some people probably are just going all in, but that doesn't mean a lot. Like, does he want to buy it right here? Does he plan on buying 3 billion if we go back down to 35? Like what, when does he plan on getting involved? Um, so it's not like something you can just buy now and, hey, maybe he, he's only going to do it if we drop another 10%. Who knows? But the point is, even him saying that, like, there's not like there's it's not like there's a lot of other counterparties out there that are like, I'm going to go beat him to it with, you know, uh, not an equal value, but a, a, a significant value. And and um, I'm going to I'm going to beat him to the punch. This is going to cause like a, you know, if he bought that much BTC, it's going to cause like probably a. Uh, five to ten percent rise in prices, like which is probably going to retrace over time, right? Yeah. So yeah. It, it for me, it's like the mo- the one thing about a TWAP is like I want to be if I can identify it in the moment, then I want to get on and ride it. But they could happen well behind us at higher prices, and it doesn't mean that they're just going to mean we just continue to trade higher from here. It's yeah. just something where you know if they're going to be getting involved with a TWAP. That one, that person clearly has an idea that price is going to be higher, right? At some point, um, and two, that that's going to cause market impact to the point where it's going to rise the tide for everybody, at least for mm-hmm. a you know reasonable amount of time and a, a significant um, you know a significant distance in terms of the move. So yeah. I, I don't think it's crazy. Um, I, I think there are definitely people that are getting involved just on that alone, um, but then there are also people that thought that the ETH merge was priced in a couple months ago. And I don't even think, you know, that's not, that's not priced in as well. Right. Yeah. I I definitely agree on that. I I think ETH BTC has a way to go. um, ETH USD as well. Um, Yeah. You you can see the narratives just building up now, but totally agree agree with you on that. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I think this market's weird in the sense that you could get away with things like that. Um, but then again, like, listen, if someone gets involved for that much BTC, their time preference is way different than anyone who is even trading right around now anyway. So it happens in legacy too, where like a large asset manager will, you know, they're not going to telegraph it maybe the same way that it happens in crypto, but you'd be surprised. Like intentions have been stated before they go on to fill like, you know, uh, whether it's like Warren Buffett saying he wants more of X, Y, Z. They go on to build that position, but they have like a 10 year plan anyway. So yeah, they're not, you know, price, they know in the time being that there's a high, a high probability that price even trades below their entry point. So it's always a matter of also knowing like what kind of participant, right? Yeah. 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 Got it. Cool, man. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Cool, man. Thanks for calling in. Nice one. All right. Uh, Goblin. Goblin. Goob. What's up, Goob? You have to uh, unmute yourself. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, I can. What's up, man? Hey, how's it going, man? Uh, I called in uh, last week, I believe. Uh, I had a question or, or comment, I guess, that will be, be questioned. It's regarding the Chinese equities market. Uh, I don't know exactly, you know, if we you briefly alluded to it, but the way I interpreted it was that Thus far, we saw a beat down in the Chinese stock market, secondary to you know mortgage uh, concerns, secondary to CCP Chinese government concerns of crackdowns on their stocks, you know, with you know heavy regulation on tech companies. And I right. think like the big narrative shift that has shifted is that 
you know, even Xi Jinping himself, you know, talked about, you know, being accommodative to the market, you know, wanting it to go up, you know, saying that he's going to be tech friendly. And you see other news outlets in China also saying that. So I do wonder, like, is it perhaps that we're seeing a similar situation to March 2020 in U.S. equities with Jerome Powell saying, you know, you know, printer turn on? Like, are we seeing a similar situation in China? And if so, should we just go macro long? Because we're close to the bottom, if not, you know, slightly above the bottom on the Chinese equities market. And also, if that's occurring, is it possible for the Chinese market to, you know, sort of disconnectly sink, uh, disconnect, I guess, uh, independently pump uh, while the U.S. equities stall up? Because in the eyes of, you know, the people who have billions or trillions of dollars, they have to find yield. And if there's yield to be had in foreign markets, they'll chase that versus staying in U.S. equities. Yeah, I mean, I, obviously, the U.S. equities market is the most, I think, the you know, prized, most attractive equities market, um, more consistently, not than anything else for good reason. Uh, yeah, you know, a friend of mine said, never fade Chinese officials, even when they speak, they mean it. I mean, when they speak, they mean it, meaning maybe this is sort of their don't fade the Fed moment. Um, going back to your March 2020 Jerome Powell comparison. So I, I have a bunch of friends that actually have gone pretty heavy in Chinese equities. Uh, me particularly, like it's not something that I follow closely enough. Um, I definitely, it's not my area of competence, but I think that uh, it is very well, it is possible that it is, that is what's taking place and that it's not maybe, you know, just some kind of oversold conditions that are, are balancing right temporarily. Um, but it's, again, this is not something that I don't know enough about it to really go into detail. Um, but I do have, like I said, I mean, if it means anything, I have a couple friends that are pretty, pretty serious macro traders, um, not just like hobbyists. And uh, they're pretty heavy in, in Chinese tech right now. And, you know, like I said, quote, unquote, I'm reading it right now because he, he wrote this uh, yesterday, just said never fade Chinese officials. Right. Same idea as don't fade the Fed. Um, so, yeah, it's possible that we're seeing that. I, don't, I mean, I think that still you know, I, I started off by saying this, I, I think still our markets are. Um, extremely attractive. And it's a matter of, like you said, you know, for right now, it's you know, Chinese markets benefiting from that uh, as far as like seeking yield. But I think that there's a lot of, and I mentioned this earlier, there's a lot of larger money that's come out of equities in the United States. Um, you know, larger, larger asset managers have pulled off. And I think that that comes back in. I just wonder, you know, when I, I'm, I am hesitant to like say that this would be you know, maybe it's the bottom for Chinese equities and maybe they're having their own moment similar to March 2020. But I'd be hesitant to say that, you know, the same situation is taking place over here. Right. Gotcha. That, that makes sense. And I guess my final question is, uh, in regards to crypto, how does like the stability of the Chinese market affect because the crypto market? Because one thing that we sort of saw last week leading up to this bounce was like the meltdown of the Hang Seng. And I feel like sometimes during the Asian sessions, we saw some sell-offs in crypto. Like, is that something that you really uh, – is it worth tracking? Or do you feel like the you know, Chinese market has mainly you know detached from crypto? Like, they truly exited it during the previous ban that they implemented? Oh, yeah. I think I, I think that they truly exited it. I don't think it's even that much of a – I don't think it's something that's very significant anymore. Um, I think that that changes. I mean, like, this is me just, this is just conjecture, but I think that they find their way back in, um, as I think a lot of people find their way into the crypto market over time anyway. But, uh, 
right now, I don't think it's a, a like a leading concern or something that I would um, I would anticipate would have too much of an effect on the market. Gotcha. Th- thank you for answering my question. Appreciate the time. Thanks for calling. In. All right, Bobby, and then I'm probably going to wrap it up. So if anyone wants to hop on after, go on for an hour. Hey, what's up, Bobby? Sorry, my microphone. You can you hear me? Yeah, what's going on, man? Yeah, I was just um, just, uh, curious. So you said you felt like um, you felt like the merge was already priced in uh, with the with, or a lot of people were saying that it was priced in, but you think it's not? Yeah. Um, do you think? You know, I'm just curious. What, what do you think? Um, you know, my, my background is in computer science and symbolic systems. Um, now they've they've been testing this stuff out for for a while on on a testnet, right? Which is um, most likely a, a centralized situation. Um, most of Infura is ran through Amazon Web Services as it is, but the testnet would most certainly probably be a centralized system. If that if that doesn't work, and they continue to have problems like they do whenever ETH gets really congested, um, what what do you think? What do you think will happen? Do you think that people will will even care? Because it often seems like you remember when remember when apes went bananas and everyone was trying to get apes and everyone was basically, you know, trying to, they're congesting the system and they're paying like thousands of dollars in gas fees. Yeah. Um, but people didn't really seem to care a whole lot because largely it's a lot of institutional money that yeah. ends up on ETH and soul. Um, do you think that, that people will care if the merge doesn't happen, EIP fails? Cause, cause there's from a, from a computer science standpoint, uh, there's uh, more than a non-zero chance of failure here. I, I would say a considerable chance that it doesn't go smoothly. Yeah, there was a guy who actually, he wrote a, I think he wrote a thread the last two days, and I think he was a developer for ETH or someone who worked on ETH. And he was saying how they're introducing too much complexity, and, and he thinks that it's reducing the chances that ETH ends up surviving in the long run. Yeah. Um, I Like, I am not a, a technocrat whatsoever. Like, mm-hmm. I know how my iPhone works, but I don't know anything about, <laughs> um, I don't know anything uh, from a developer standpoint. I took two courses in Python, but fuck, man, I need to take them again. <laughs> but um, I, uh, I I don't know. I mean, I, I'll say that, yeah, ETH, you know, during the bull market, when ETH was, like, ridiculously, when gas was really expensive, or just any time when gas is expensive, I think the wealth effect of crypto has like helped wash over that or like allow people to just like look over that. Cause it's like, you know, if you, if you've just made a, a ton of money in crypto and you're punting altcoins, like, eh, you're going to throw away three, $400 to punt an altcoin that you think is going to return 10, 20%, you know, markets kind of ripping across the board, like whatever, that's kind of like sunk cost throw away. It's not something that you're really thinking of from like an economic standpoint. That's not obviously how, systems that would use it uh, in the financial system would think of it, right? It's kind of just throw away money. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know enough about ETH, um, but I will say that it doesn't make sense to me that it would be able to continue to sort of fulfill its, its role by not fixing that or not, um, you know, not remedying that situation. Uh, but like I said, I, I it's not something I know enough about. I do think that you know, ETH is, Bitcoin is in its own, um, it's in its own boat, right? It, yeah. It's, it's, it's completely decentralized. Yeah. It's, you know, it's tried and true. Windy, everything, everything you can think of, it is, it's past the, te- you know, it's, 
it's imperfect in certain areas, but ETH has competitors, right? Mm-hmm. Um, ETH obviously has network effects, but I, I don't know. I, I the, the tale as old as time is things being sort of dethroned. So who knows? I mean, that's a lot of money to come out of something. If yeah. it ends up not succeeding, that money's going to find itself somewhere else. But who knows what that means for the entire crypto market um, in the time that that takes to occur and what kind of you know drawn out winter that that would create. I, I don't know. I don't know enough about it. I just know that from a, a technical trading standpoint that I know when narratives sort of begin to pick up steam and it's easy to like um, post it them and like say, oh, I'm going to get back to that. I'll check on it a week from now and then it's up another 20%. So yeah. I'm noticing that with ETH right now that there are people that are like, ah, it's priced in, you know, they've been saying it's priced in. Um, ETH has now just with BTC and with equities as well, sort of shaken off a little bit of uh, what has been some, you know, significant pressure that we've had for the last couple months. And it looks like it's, you know, breaking out in ways that it hadn't in, you know, last, I think, I don't know if someone was drawing, it was a trend line, who knows, it went back like six months or a year, um, strength against BTC. But this goes back to, yeah, it goes back to uh, December, 2021. Um, But I know ETH, BTC represents sort of risk on for the market, right? It's kind of like a proxy uh, in that sense, Mm -hmm. um, sort of like the NQ. And I am getting the feeling that it has a lot more legs in it because there's sort of this, not tepid response, but there is this sort of semi-acknowledgement of the merge and higher prices that'll come from the merge, uh, but sort of an unwillingness to jump on it right away. It looks like the market's like, it's picking up momentum slowly. Yeah. Um, I don't know, like, who knows after after that, uh, what happens, or, or six months from now, or 12 months from now. Um, it's, I, I, I have long-term cold storage for BTC. I, I throw ETH in cold storage, but I will probably take it out and sell it, you know, if it doesn't, if it doesn't continue to, uh, to serve a purpose, so. Yeah, I'm just, I'm curious, like, what the value proposition is if you have these other L1s, um, like Sol or, or AVAX um, that can do the same thing um, and are also sufficiently centralized. You know, I, I had often said, um, you know, if I were a VC or something, I, I would just, you know, create my own, uh, cre- create a coin and just centralize it the way, you know, because Infura is on Amazon Web Services. So just put everything on Amazon Web Services, but but keep gas prices very low and just, just you know, uh, have this idea of sufficiently decentralized um, which is in reality what, what ETH is. It's not actually decentralized at all, especially with proof of stake. Uh, none of those are. Um, but people would have less gas fees. So it seems kind of like if you could pay less in gas by going on Seoul because Solana is a lot less expensive. Like they, they literally turned off the network in the summer. I don't know if you remember, but they, they turned Seoul yeah. off. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, that's a pretty good metric if like your system's decentralized or not, is if you could just right. turn it off. So I'm like, what would people, because because I, I come more from a, I came from a computer science standpoint, and and I I, I trade uh, e sometimes. I mostly focus on on Bitcoin, especially since taking your course. But I'm just curious as to like, you know, because I, I don't really deal a lot with with the, the the actual crypto community itself, just the the, the Bitcoin and computer science community. Um, do you think people would 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 rather um, have like if they could? better purchase their apes or anything else, the NFTs that are on Solana, 
but they know for a fact that if they're going to pay for a transaction, one, it's going to get picked up because in ETH it doesn't do that. Like you'll pay gas and you still won't get your ape. Um, yeah. Two, um, it's 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 more secure uh, because with, with the way that Ethereum is securing your your assets um, using proof of stake, it chooses validators. Whereas with Solana, you you have that as well. You have the, the choosing of validators, but you actually do. There are computational benefits to centralization. Like like every if you want a transaction to happen fast, you need it to be centralized. You never want to separate read from write. Like the closest you can have read and write is the fastest transaction is going to go through. So I wonder if if Solana kind of positions itself to be that where. Like it's kind of moving away from decentralization towards centralization, but one, cheap gas or cheap cheap transaction fees, and two, like you're going to get your your order picked up. Do you think people would prefer that a kind of system like that? Yeah, I think I think people would prefer to pay less to place an order in general. Um, like they're not going to care that it's not as decentralized. Yeah, I mean, I. Th- it's kind of a weird situation, like a hypothetical to think of because it just it didn't happen that way. So it's like mm-hmm. it's kind of like trying to think of the best of, you know, creating a, a best case scenario that just isn't reality right now. Um, I think that Solana, if you know anyone who's competing with ETH and again, from from a, a, my I'm not I have no background in this. Anyone who's competing with ETH probably has to put in um, in equal or, you know, close. Uh, not the same amount of time because he's been around for a while, but it has a little bit more time uh, ahead of it to prove that it's, I, I mean, sustainable at the same level of network usage, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he has a, a lot more people using the network. Isn't it like fair to say that maybe these other platform or protocols perform better because they don't experience the same like throughput or. Yeah. So, I mean, in theory and in practice kind of thing, um, I don't, I mean, listen, I think that that, I think crypto is 12, you know, 12, 13 years old now. Uh, There's a lot of spots that are still up for grabs that are, that I think people think are already kind of locked in Mm -hmm. in terms of projects and and the roles that they play. Um, So, so we'll see. I mean, for me, that's why I, I try to not, I I mean, I don't try, I, I focus mostly on technicals and momentum and, um, and narrative, but I don't know enough about, I don't know that this is a problem though for me because I don't know enough about the fundamentals to also have like diehard diamond hands. Yeah. And you have a good idea of, you know, what works better. Like if you're a programmer, if you have a computer science mm-hmm. background, yeah. you're able to probably, you know, let's say you take a position against ETH, yeah. um, whether you are taking a position against it by shorting it and longing something else's competitor, you're able to like hold that longer sleep on your position better because at the end of the day you're like no i know like you know this this is a better alternative but what i will say is actually a good example and now i'm kind of rambling um it's not always the case that the best tech wins out yeah right it's you know who has the best advertising who has the best you know who has the strongest network effects because there's a lot of you know tech companies just in in um in the regular world that they might not be the best version of what is, you know, potentially available to the consumer, but they're mass marketed, they're, you know, easily producible. And so maybe it's like the, you know, who knows where it would fall on the line in the spectrum in terms of of being good versus bad, but it's not always the case that 
you know, oh, the, the fastest platform should be the one that wins market share. Well, who knows? Maybe it's just a little bit late to the game or maybe it's, you know, maybe these people are so diehards that I don't know. You know, you get what I'm kind of saying at, you know, saying, though. Yeah, that's why I brought it up, because I think that if Seoul kind of having, you know, this relationship or I don't know if it's a director, you know, I know that they have some relationship with FTX or at least with SBF and, and these guys, if, if they can kind of put those marketing situations to, 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 to good use um, and it, it's it's more centralized, then they could actually I think they do have a chance actually at competing with ETH. It's not as Lindy as ETH for sure. because It's newer. Uh, it's not as tried, but technically it does uh, do more transactions per, per second than ETH because it is more centralized. I think right. with something like ETH, um, especially because uh, it decided to, to build its platform on a turn complete system, which uh, just doesn't make any sense. Uh, Bitcoin's turn incomplete. Uh, and that's why we have finality and security on the network because it's very dumb. It's very stupid. It's, it's just money. It doesn't do anything fancy. Uh, but ETH kind of has all of the all, all of the worst assets or worst aspects of decentralization and none of the benefits of centralization <laughs> because it's somewhere in the middle, whereas yeah. Bitcoin is perfect or not perfect, but the best you can get because it's a, it's completely decentralized and things like Solana are like much more centralized. So they get the benefit of those transactions per second. ETH yeah. is in this weird kind of middle. Um, so it's just, it's just interesting. Um, but, but last uh, question, just uh, you mentioned China. So with, with China, cause I know I saw that, you know, um, I, I bought a bunch of Bitcoin when, when their markets puked, you know, they, they, they puked Bitcoin as well. And I picked up a lot of that up at 37, five or something. And, you know, I figured this was going to bounce back, you know, especially if uh, I figured just a bunch of the Fed stuff was, was priced in and, you know, American equities bounce back and Chinese equities will probably bounce back too. Um, but I'm not bullish in the long run for, for, for China because I know a lot of people have this narrative that like China politically, economically is like this competitor to the United States. But with, with China being the production capital of the world, it has to have uh, cheap currency. That is it, like if its currency right. gets too strong, it has to devalue it. Uh, in order to keep up cheap uh, exports, so yeah. if, if that's the case, like I, I don't, I get, I don't, I don't know how I see like a bullish case for Chinese equities over U.S. equities if you always have to keep the yuan cheaper relative to the dollar. Yeah, I mean uh, that's a that's a good point. I mean the United States is the biggest consumer too, so it's like you're Chinese, you're producer, you can't afford to have, like you said, you can't have a currency that is. Um, that is overvalued, but yeah, I mean, I, honestly, I don't know. It's not something that I, I focus too much on, uh, as far as like markets outside of the United States. It's only something that I've, so there's a lot of things that I've only recently started focusing more on again, that were not relevant in my life for like the last six years. Yeah. Um, when I traded equities for years before crypto, it was obviously something that I had more of a finger on the pulse on, but I mean, it completely, it was unnecessary to even to keep, uh, you know, to make bandwidth for that um, until, you know, until what's happened in the last year. Um, when no, you know, switch, man. did you trade everything or did you just focus on like one or two things at first? Oh, no. When I was trading equities, I was heavily trading tech. Oh, okay. No, but when you switched from equities to crypto, did you just kind of focus on one or two markets or did you, was it just kind of, in, like, would you just, you just extract those same principles? It was kind of like simple for you. I mean, I went from trading, predominantly trading tech as more of like a, I mean, going back to like when I first started trading, um, I predominantly traded tech as mostly like a, a Momo swing trader 
momentum swing trader. Uh, and then I started trading equity index futures, crude, and then crypto. And I didn't trade. I mean, I didn't. When I got involved in crypto, I didn't really do anything in, in equities anymore. I completely jumped into crypto, you know, headfirst and, and never looked back. All the principles that I that I learned when I was trading equity index futures and the same sort of for crude oil, um, just commodity futures in general, sort of the same ideas apply to my crypto trading today, mostly yeah. BTC. Um, so the stuff that I do with BTC, using market profile, uh, looking at order flow, CVD, those things are all things that I use when I was trading equity futures and um, commodity futures. But altcoins are completely different. That's like a momentum-driven game. Um, that's sort of like playing, I mean, honestly, it's like tech stocks. But I, I once I got involved in crypto, I didn't really focus on equities at all. I just, I kept a, like, a, like I said, like passively indexed in the S&P um, and that's it. Only started recently considering, and this is to show you where we were at. I was only recently starting uh, to consider possibly trading the ES and the NQ again um, as a way more active intraday trader. And that was because mm-hmm. crypto was getting so boring. So that was like back in, you know, I've been in crypto now for a while. And every bear market, it's been like people will leave crypto to go trade like for, you know, FX, for example. And for me, it was like, ah, this is getting so boring. I think I'll just go trade the ES again. <laughs> <laughs> but that never came. So, well, that's that's good. But I was yeah. then you're saying that you have kind of different principles than from trading Bitcoin or, or you know forex or ES. It's not the same as trading all coins. All coins are not excluding ETH. I think it seems like ETH kind of follows a similar plan as Bitcoin, but maybe the other alts you said is kind of more momentum driven. Yeah, I mean, it depends on what environment. I've only started recently trading alts semi-similarly to how I trade BTC and ETH. So focusing on positioning in the market, um, using some of the order flow tools and profile tools that I use for, for BTC and ETH. Yeah. But before that, I was, you know, trying to be more of a swing trader with all. It's a trend follower. You know, when when it's a bull market, it's easy to just kind of spray and pray and <laughs> have sort of a momentum approach. Yeah. Kind of like, you know, if you're like a, C, like a CTA commodity, you know, commodity trading advisor and you took more of a trend following type of approach to the market. Um, I, I think alts are obviously when, when there's energy in the market, alts are, you shouldn't really micromanage alts too much. They are pretty, they trade pretty technically. They are very momentum driven, highly reflexive. Um, I started trading alts more like BTC when BTC was getting more like the ES and I was like, oh, oh this okay. sucks, you know, and, and I'll just trade the ES instead. But there were alts that were trading very technically still that had like clear imbalances that, you know, again, are, they take place in BTC too, but they just, they just, it was alts trade very technically from a structural standpoint, which makes everything easier, easier period, because you know that, you know, certain levels are going to be a lot more actionable and less, I guess, um, less likely to chop around. So uh, okay. the fact that they, were, they trade so technically just made them a lot more attractive when Bitcoin was just, you know, moving tick for tick with, uh, with the S&P. But the ES doesn't do that? Like you can't use the fundamentals you use on Bitcoin on the ES? Oh, no. The ES, so the ES is the S&P. That's, you know, it's the... Yeah, but it's the e-mini futures, right? Right, is right. That what you mean? So when yeah. I, yeah, that's what I was trading. So when I was, um, 
trading the ES, I was looking at the same. I was basically using the same tools that I used to trade BTC, not yeah. the same exact ones because they're not. You know, I was using trading technologies. I was using Sierra charts. As, I use Sierra charts as well, but using the DOM, using a tape, um, using a footprint, and then using the, the uh, profile. Got it. But my point is, when I just to wrap up, mm-hmm. I never traded. I never really traded alts with the profile in the past. I never traded alts looking at open interest or CVD. I just only would be in alts if Bitcoin was good and I'd be swinging alts. Like it was never, there was honestly not much thought into it. And only recently I started realizing like, oh, if I, if I'm not going to trade Bitcoin as much, and this has changed in the last two weeks, if I'm not going to trade Bitcoin as much. Why don't I just use the same tools on alts, trade them sort of intraday. Um, and, and then it just comes, I talked about it a while back. It, it comes down to identifying what alts are worth focusing on. And a lot of that has to do with like what is picking up in relative volume, you know, obviously what has the right amount of liquidity and, and you know, what that has been for the last few months was the rotation plays. So, you know, if you're trading Luna, if you're trading Solana, AVAX, um, FTM near one, these were good to trade intraday because there was a lot of people trading them period. So they had sort of, the, same, the kind of behavior and, and liquidity profile that you would want if you're trading actively throughout the day. Oh, okay. But, and that's just like spot and then selling higher or that's also just on like leverage? No, I was using, I, if I, like, for example, I built uh, an AVAX position in spot. I yeah. think AVAX is something that I don't want to micromanage for the next couple of weeks. I think that if I have a thesis that BTC and ETH are going to be higher, and I, I think the same for, AVAX. These are things I don't want to micromanage too much with when it comes to swings. So I will build a spot position, try to get that as far away from a keyboard as possible. So just like try to put stuff on cold storage, just in, just so I know that it's not. But with uh, intraday trading alts, when if I was uh, trading them like Bitcoin, I don't use uh, I'm trading futures products. Got it. That makes sense. Yeah, and just just to be clear, I'm not like when I was talking about ETH, I'm not like bearish on ETH in the short run. I do think this whole proof of stake thing is gonna give people a, a short term uh, boost just because of the ESG stuff. I think when it inevitably fails to keep people's uh, keys secure, then it will <laughs> fail. But I think in the short in the short term, I, I, I don't. I'm not bearish. I was just. Uh, curious as to how the crypto community sees uh decentralization no you're making you're making really good points so yeah i appreciate it yeah thanks for all that info that really helped no problem bobby all right man i'm going to uh thanks for calling in bobby i'm going to wrap it up guys unless um unless anyone wants to hop on for another minute if not Everyone have a fantastic Saturday. It's a, it's been a pleasure as always. Um, yeah, I mean, there's no real reason to. I mean, maybe there is something moving that's worth trading, but enjoy your Saturday. Um, Saturdays are the worst days from a realized volatility standpoint. Um, but tomorrow we have equity index futures opening, and we'll see how equities trade going into Monday's cash session because again I think that um, risk has it has been risk on in legacy markets obviously crypto is 
you know, moving to the beat of that and its own beat to some degree, right? We have some, um, you know, some cases to be made for why, you know, it would be possibly decoupling in the short term. Um, but I think that it still largely does hinge on the level of volatility seen in equity. So, you know, if equity is stabilized, if we're able to, you know, hold this sort of 40, was it 44, was it 4455 or 4465 close? We don't see anything, you know, that creates a a spike in the VIX above 30 again, that'd be good. I think for the first time we were able to trade under 30 on the VIX this week. And uh, that's always a good sign. So no major shakiness in equities. And I think that we're good to go. But if we do see, you know, a turn for the worse, I don't know. Crypto is, it is kind of marching to its own beat right now to some degree, but I think it's very easy for it to get sort of pulled back into the grips of uh, legacy markets as a risk asset. But we'll see, right? This is all just the word of the day today is conjecture. This is all just conjecture. Everyone have a fantastic weekend. I will, um, I'll make sure to post this and we'll go live again in the middle of the week for a midweek breakdown on Wednesday. I'll post that link on Tuesday. Till next time, have a good one, guys.